Hey, check this out. Anybody know these people? Everybody's like, wait a second, maybe let me look a little closer. Now, there, there was an older couple, this may or may not be them, and, uh, but they had been married for 62 years, a little over 62 years, and they started to feel like they were uh, just starting to slip a little bit. Memories were just kind of, you know, they were getting a little forgetful about certain things, and they decided, just to be sure, why don't we both uh, book an appointment at the doctor and just get things checked out just to make sure we're on the up and up. So they go to the doctor, and after a thorough examination, the doctor said, hey, you guys are good physically, no problems that I can see. Uh, but I may still be able to help solve your problem. I've got a suggestion that may kind of help with the things you're experiencing. And so it was a simple suggestion, but he just said, maybe start writing things down that you suspect you might forget or start making notes of things that, uh, you know, would be very important for you to remember. Uh, things that if you forgot, it would make a, a really big uh, problem in your life. Write those things down. Put them on the fridge. Put them next to your chair in the living room, whatever. Make sure you do that, and that would be helpful for you. So they both thanked the doctor for his sage wisdom, his advice that he had given them, and they went on their way, went home. Later that night, at home, they're both watching TV, and the man gets up from his chair here, and uh, the wife was a little on the hungry side. She kind of wanted a snack, but you know how it is. You don't really want to get up from your chair. It's warm. It's comfortable, and so he had gotten up first, so she said, hey, honey, where are you going? And of course, he said, to the kitchen, and she's like, ah, bingo. And so she said, hey, would you bring me a snack back? And he's like, sure, what do you want? She said, I would actually really like, I'm craving a bowl of ice cream. So he says, okay, I'll get you the bowl of ice cream. She says, oh, don't you think you should write that down, like the doctor said, just so you don't forget, okay? And he says, no, dear, I can remember a bowl of ice cream. And she said, but I also want strawberries on top. You better write this down. You're going to forget this. You better write this down. Just like the doctor said, you know you're going to forget it. And he said, dear, I can remember you want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries on top. I've got it. And she said, oh, but one more thing. I also want whipped cream on that. So I need a bowl of ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. And she said, you better write that down. You know you're going to forget it. She kind of, you know, got a little attitude with it. And he's, now he's got a little attitude. Now he's a little irritated. And he said, dear, I do not need to write this down. I can remember your order. And he kind of storms off into the kitchen. 20 minutes later, he comes back, and he's got a plate. And it's got bacon and scrambled eggs on it. Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad, but it's not what she ordered, right? So she takes one look down at the plate just for a moment. Then she looks up at him, and with disappointment in her voice, she says, Oh, honey... I told you you should have written down my order. You forgot my toast. <laughs> it happens. It happens. This morning we're continuing in our message series called Never Forget, aptly named, right? Uh, Never Forget, and hopefully you remember why we're uh, doing this, why we're calling it Never Forget, because Psalm 103 uh, vows to never forget something, right? The psalmist, uh, David, writing this psalm, vows to never forget some things, certain things, very important things. Maybe you remember what it was that he said. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Ooh, I can hear some of you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. 
right? So, so this is what the psalmist does. And this month, we are going to do what this psalm does. This psalm lays this foundation, uh, vows to bless the Lord with all that is within him, to bless his holy name, and also to forget none of his benefits. None of them. So he's going to mention them. That's what the psalm does. And as those who belong to the Lord uh, today, we receive so many wonderful, praiseworthy benefits from him. And it should be our constant desire to thank him for those things, to bless his holy name for those things. One of the goals for this series is for us to understand that a desire to bless his name and forget none of his benefits comes from or is driven or motivated by thanksgiving. For, it's motivated by gratitude, right? That's why we would do such a thing. And so we, we want to see that we need to forget none of his benefits we need to remember them, name them one by one, so that we are thoroughly motivated to praise him for them. Thoroughly motivated to, to give him thanks, to, to take the gratitude in our hearts and our minds and actually give it to him, to bless his holy name. That's what we want to do. So I told you last week, one way that <clears throat> we're trying to um, set this message series up for success is to try and memorize to some degree, even if it flies out the window by the time we get our bellies half full at lunchtime, okay? We're gonna try, at least during the message, to have this on the tops of our minds, to kind of memorize these first couple of verses of this psalm, because this is this psalm's foundation, and so it has become the, uh, the foundation of this message series as well. And so we wanna kind of commit this to memory before we go on and name these benefits or enumerate them one by one. So to help us never forget, to help us uh, prompt our minds to remember these benefits, we're trying to memorize these. So let's try it again this week, okay? Let's one round, everybody together. Are you ready? Let's go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. All right, step two. <clears throat> Here we go. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and none of his benefits. Well done, well done. See, last time I only took three away on the first step. This time, what do we got? One, two, three, six of them gone. All right, let's, uh, let's up the ante a little bit here. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, the Lord, oh my soul, and of his name. Nicely done. Now, let's, um, let, let's chain this up a little bit this week. Let's, let's uh, try a new memorization technique. Maybe you'll like this one. It, it might look a little odd when I first put it up here, okay? So brace yourself, hang tight. It's actually pretty simple. Okay, so what we've done here, this was, I, I know I tried to prepare you, all right? So look, this is the first letter of each word in the verse. Uh, I was taught this just this past summer uh, by a gentleman that I asked, how do you memorize scripture? How do you memorize various things? And he's like, well, I don't really have a method. And then like a half hour later, he said, Jake, here's my method. I was like, are you holding back? Did you forget? No. Anyway, so he brings this to me. And then I started to discover that other people use this as well. And so what it is, is just the first letter of each word. And it's actually pretty helpful. All right. You want to try it? Okay, so I'll give you a bless the Lord, right? Okay, so let's go. One, two, three. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. May I? May I? Nicely done. I, see, see you guys. We can do this. We got this. You got this. This is awesome. Okay, so we're going to pick up now uh, where the text continues this week. Uh, last week we did verses 1 and 2 like this, and then we went on to verses 3 and 5. This week we're going to look at verses 6 through 13, all right? Uh, you can see it up here on the screen, or at least the first part of it here. So uh, start with me in verse 6, Psalm 103, verse 6, and we'll read down to verse 13. The, the rest of this psalm says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So in all of these benefits that we see here, last time we, we kind of assigned them a theme and we said, uh, last week we said he fixes us, right? We see all these ways that we can't fix our situation. We see issues we're in, situations we're in, circumstances that only he can fix. And so we said he fixes us. This week, if we look at these, the overarching theme I would say has to be that he's good to us. Look at, look at these things. Look at what we talked about. He, he's good to us. And so that's what I'm calling this morning's message. He's good to us, all right? Simple mind, just keep things simple, all right? That's what I have to do, all right? He's good to us. In verses 6 through 13 of this psalm, uh, we see uh, a number of benefits laid out for us here that remind us that, that God, the, the designer and creator of, of all things, the designer and creator of us, the all-knowing, almighty, one true God, he's not just good, but he's good to us. He's good toward us. He provides for us. He treats us well. He's the creator and we're his creation, but he's good to us. You hear me say this all the time. This is how I feel. This is how I am. But it's true. He treats us better than we deserve, right? He treats us better than we deserve. And so because of that, as we call this to our minds, we should desire to bless the Lord. With all that is within us, with our very souls, we need to bless his holy name for these things. So he's good to us. And we see that in a variety of ways here. The first way that we see that he's good to us is in that he looks out for the little guy. He looks out for the little guy. And, and we need that, don't we? Because <laughs> some of us are the little guy, right? Uh, we see this in verse 6. In verse 6, it said that the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Uh, some people have the little guy complex. Been there, done that, all right? Got the little guy complex, got the victim mentality, got the woe is me attitude. Everybody is against me. I never get a fair chance. The deck is stacked against me. And when we have this kind of attitude, uh, some, some bad things happen. We actually think that because of our lesser position, we think that we're entitled to some help, right? Somebody owes us something. I don't know what they owe me, and I don't know who it is, but somebody owes me something. And then we just kind of go around with that attitude toward everybody. And that's, the, that's kind of the little guy complex, and it can creep up on us. But the fact of the matter is, nobody owes us anything, <laughs> Nobody owes us anything. We're not entitled to anything. Now think about that in the context of 
God and the way he treats us. God having our backs, looking out for the little guy. We're in a vulnerable position compared to, compared to God. God has no vulnerabilities. God is almighty. Not some mighty, almighty. We are vulnerable. We are weak. He is powerful and has no weaknesses. Many times there's other people who are stronger than we are, right? We're not even, I don't think anybody in this room is probably, at not, nothing against you, but I don't think any of us are probably the greatest person who's ever lived. I don't know how you would even figure that out, but, but I bet there are people who are better than us at just about anything. Because there's, what, what do people tell us? There's always somebody better. There's always somebody with more. There's always, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's not just God. It's there's other people that are stronger than us, that we are weaker than in certain areas. But we have God who performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed, it says. So he cares for those who are in danger. He cares for those who are mistreated. He cares for those who are poor. He cares for those who are enslaved and in situations like that. He cares. But he doesn't just care, right? He also makes those righteous judgments. He does something about it. He cares and he does something about it. When Jesus walked the earth in flesh, he did this himself and he taught those who might follow him to do the same. To care for those who are oppressed and, and to do something about it, right? When John the baptizer sent his disciples to come and question Jesus, Matthew chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 uh, records his very telling answer. Jesus' very telling answer. It says, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind, listen, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He cared for and did something about the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead. That's a weak position to be in. And he preached the greatest news ever told to the poor. It doesn't mean that Rich didn't hear it, but he didn't come in and just give it to the people who could pay for the front row seats. He came and preached to the poor. And if the rich came and heard it, so be it. Many of them wouldn't. But he came and preached the greatest news ever to the little guy. <laughs> he cares for the little guy. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus cautioned his followers not just to invite friends and uh, rich neighbors and relatives over for dinner. He taught them in verses 13 and 14 of, of Luke chapter 14. He said, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, our Lord cares for the little guy. And that's a very good thing, as I said before, because we were all in the position of the little guy, right? We may feel like it now, even still, in certain ways and at certain times, but we were all there before, right? Spiritually, we were poor and we were oppressed. When we served sin, we were enslaved by it. Sin was our master. And our Lord came and preached good news to the poor. To those who spiritually were poor. Those who were in that vulnerable position. Who were enslaved to sin. And he made it. He said here's how you can break free from that. Here's how you can have freedom from slavery to sin. Here's how uh, the end of this life doesn't have to be the end of life. Right? He came and did that. He preached to the, to the poor. And I'm speaking in a spiritual sense now. And he didn't just preach good news. right? He, he lived that good news out. 
When he said there's gonna be a savior given for you and he's gonna be uh, uh, crucified for you and he's gonna be raised up for you, all those things, he's the one who was gonna do it and he's the one who did do it. He didn't just preach the good news, he lived the good news, he did it. He went to the cross, he paid for sin, he rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father to make eternal life possible. All of this, for who? For us, for the little guy. As the psalmist wrote in our text, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He didn't just come for the, the wealthy. He didn't just come to do good for the qualified or for the righteous or for the educated. He came for you and me while we were yet sinners. He's good to us, amen? amen. All right, secondly, we, said he, we see that he's good to us uh, because he reveals himself. He's God and he reveals himself. This is wonderful, uh, vital uh, news. This is a wonderful, vital benefit. This is one of those benefits that we're talking about. Uh, and it's kind of subtly tucked away into verse 7. We've got to look close here. At verse 7 it says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts, or his acts, to the sons of Israel. All right? You remember how this went down. God did not have the Israelites come out of Egypt without revealing his plans to Moses. He didn't have the Israelites come out of Egypt without uh, revealing his mighty power through his mighty works and deeds, uh, miracles, right? Punishments for the Egyptians. Uh, in fact, wiping out the entire army and the Pharaoh, right? He didn't bring them out and not show them through his acts that he was God without revealing himself as I'm the God who's bringing you out of Egypt, right? He didn't do it that way, right? He, in fact, did show. He revealed himself to them. He revealed his plans to Moses, what Moses needed to know to share with the Egyptians. And he certainly revealed himself through his acts, through the mighty deeds that he did as they came out. We are blessed because our Lord doesn't hide behind some curtain, watch us tripping all over ourselves, trying and crying uh, as we try to figure out the meaning of life, the purpose of living. He's not removed himself from this world, leaving the, the whole earth to spiral out of control. He hasn't done that. And he's not made himself unknowable or incomprehensible. That's not the God that, that we follow. He's revealed himself. What a wonderful privilege or benefit it is to know God. To know because he has purposefully revealed himself to mankind. And even further so, he's revealed himself even further to those who, who seek him. Those who are trying to learn about him will learn even more. He will reveal even more of himself to those people, right? God's existence actually, though, is hidden from no one. We know from Romans chapter 1, verse 20, right? We, we go to this all the time when we want to point these things out. When we want to gently and, and with, a, with a, a, a good heart and mind and a motivation, we want to point out the fact that there are no atheists, right? As Kendall Fall used to say, he's a atheist. He does not believe there are atheists because you cannot, with an honest mind, uh, deny the existence of God because, as it says, since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, not just seen, being understood, through what has been made so that they are without excuse. If you believe the scripture, then you can't believe in atheists because the scripture says that they're without excuse. There's no reason not to believe. You can see it, you can understand it through what has been made, through what is out here right now observable. 
What you can observe with the naked eye and with your mind is enough to prove that God exists. You can't watch creation go dormant as it has recently in such beauty and style. I mean, it's, kind of, it's pretty, right? Many of us like this season. Uh, it's our favorite. And it's mine, I'll admit it. But if you think about it, you're like, oh, you like when everything dies? That, that's what you like? But it's beautiful, Right, all of God's creation, he's just set it up where it's just so beautiful. But you can't watch this creation, like I said, go dormant in beauty and style like it has and then come back quickly and fully in vibrant color and deny the existence of God, not with an honest mind. You just can't do it. You certainly can't go deeper and study biology or any other kind of the, the scientific fields, observing the complexity and the interdependency of things like um, of the, the, the micro um, machinery that, that, it, that exists in our bodies. You can't look at that stuff and study it and understand how it works and with an honest mind deny the existence of God. You, again, have to have some reason to be dishonest with yourself and with others because it doesn't make sense any other way. We've talked about that at length before, right? God has revealed himself generally in his creation, but he's also revealed himself specifically, his, his specific, his, his nature, specific aspects of his nature and his specific will for us. He's done that through his son, Jesus, right? John chapter one, verse 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, that's Jesus. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. What do you need to know about God? Look at Jesus. What do you need to, to know about his will? Look at Jesus. That's what this is saying. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 is another good one. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Now I'm not talking about his features. You know, does he have high cheekbones, low cheekbones, sideburns? Not that, okay? But he is the, the image, right? He's this picture, this perfect picture, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's definitely Jesus that we're talking about there. And then the, the book of Hebrews, amazing book, lots of heavy doctrine, lots of foundational doctrine. You know how it starts? First two verses, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, okay, this age of history that we're living in today, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. It's a lot about Jesus right there. Right? But it says that he's spoken to us through his son. We've learned about God, specifically about his nature and his will through Jesus, through his son. And now, through what has been written down, that which has been recorded and preserved for us, even still today, to study, generations and generations have learned about him and have been able to come to faith in him, to, to really, truly not just uh, believe in him, that's one big thing, but to also believe him, right? There's a difference between believing in him and believing him. And generations have been able to come uh, to do both, Right? We see in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, this is a, a, a powerful passage uh, that we come to now and again for a, a few different reasons. But we see the apostle John telling us why he wrote his gospel account. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples with witnesses is what that means, <laughs> which are not written in this book. There's other things that we all saw happen, he's saying, but even those things aren't written in this book. But these, the things that he wrote, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what you need to believe to follow him, right? These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So through creation, 
through his mighty works, through Jesus, and through what has been written down now. His written word. Our Lord doesn't keep us in the dark. That's not the kind of God he is. He reveals himself to us. Thirdly, uh, we see that he's good to us because he's patient with his people. He's patient with his people. Uh, look at verses 8 and 9 again uh, of our psalm here. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9. He said, the Lord is compassionate and generous, or compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not strive with us or, or wrestle with us. He won't strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, let's just put it out there real quick. God has every right to be instantly angered with us when we break his law. When we don't do what he's commanded us, commanded us to do. And when we do what he has forbid us to do. Right? He has every right. He created us. We're his creation. We're created to serve him. And then we're like, actually I'm going to go do my own thing. Hello, I'd be pretty mad pretty quick. Now shame on me. But I'm being honest. That would make me pretty upset. He has every right. I'm a human being and I feel that way. He's God. He has every right to be like that. Every right to be angry with us immediately as soon as we break his law. We're his creation. He's the creator. We're that which has been created. What right do we have to go and do something like this? But what a wonderful benefit it is that we have a, a, a God who understands his creation and, and bears with us and is patient with us, right? That's not to say that he's unable to be upset. I'm not saying he doesn't get upset, right? Imagine creating life. And, and wanting only what is best for the life that you created. Now imagine caring for that life, sacrificing for that creation, doing so many wonderful things to prove your love and your devotion and your commitment to that which you have created, only to have that creation rebel against you, to forget about you at times, or to, to even doubt you. Anybody in the room had kids? Yeah. Hello. You know what we're talking about, right? Now think of... God. You were thinking about God. And then I got you thinking about raising your kids. Now let's go back to God here. Let's put him in this position. We are his creation. And certainly we can do things that are going to understandably upset him. But he doesn't fly off the handle like we might sometimes. Like Jake might. He's slow to anger it says. He abounds in loving kindness. He doesn't just say like you know you could accurately say that you know loving kindness is in his nature. He abounds in loving kindness it says wow he's doing everything if you've been here on Tuesday nights you've learned about that word loving kindness and you learned how he abounds in it you know that that, that is telling us uh, that description is telling us that he's doing everything he can to make this relationship between us and him work that, that's what that word means I, I mean in a paraphrasing kind of way <laughs> he's doing everything he can to make this relationship work. And so he's not doing one of these, you know, huh, see if they trip. He's not doing any of that. He's not doing anything like that. And he's not even waiting and going, I'm not going to warn them or tell them anything about this danger. No, he's, he's doing everything he can to make sure that, that we cross the finish line. He's doing everything we can to make sure that we're faithful until death. That's him. He abounds in loving kindness. Even if he gets angry with us, he doesn't stay angry, it says as well. He doesn't hold a grudge. I, I, I know people who do. I've, I've done it myself. He forgives and he continues on with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, in that verse, we learn that love is patient, right? 
We know that love is patient. That's a description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, we learn that patience is something that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives as we follow his guidance. You know, as long as we do follow the Holy Spirit, he's going to produce patience in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14 urges us to be patient with who? All. (laughs) We're supposed to be patient with, with all. And it certainly makes sense that we should be patient with one another Because we all have weaknesses, we all have flaws, uh, none of us are perfect, and we all have the same value or worth. And so, uh, in a way, none of us are entitled to it, but in a way, none of us are also entitled to not be patient with each other. Like, we're kind of all on the same level, right? But there is no sense in which we should expect or feel entitled to God being patient with us. We don't deserve that. And he is not in a position where he has to give that, or where he might gain something from it. He's just doing it for us. He's just patient for us. The designer, the creator of all that has been created is patient with us, his creation. He bears with us and he doesn't give up on us. In short, he's good to us, all right? The fourth and final way that we see that he's good to us could be summed up by saying he's a father to us. He's a father to us. In verses 10 through 13 of our text, if you look at that again, it says that he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So we've said it before, we'll say it again. We know we can upset God. He can get angry. (laughs) He can be saddened by us at times. At times, he will allow us to go through unpleasant things, and maybe because uh, we deserve it, maybe because we've done nothing uh, that that would merit, or we're not in a position where uh, it would merit him uh, delivering us from a particular situation. We're just gonna we're gonna have to suffer through that particular thing. Sometimes it's so that we might learn a lesson through it. We know that these kinds of things can happen, but one thing we also know for sure is that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not given us what we truly deserve. As bad as it might get at times, he's not done what we deserve to us. He's not given us what we truly have earned. We know Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, right? Our sin merits or earns. That's the paycheck that we're owed for our sin. That should be, uh, that should be signed and delivered to us. Eternal separation from God. But instead, instead of giving us that, he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. To, to be removed as far as the east is from the west, okay? Start going east and let me know when you get to the west. Start going west and let me know when you get to the east, right? Everybody understands this, this picture here? As far as the east is from the west, he certainly is like a compassionate father, right? This may sound like an odd scripture to go to, but it, it struck me this week, and, and I wouldn't typically phrase things like that because that sounds like, oh, well, let's go with Jake down his emotional lane here. It's not what I mean, but look at Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 15 and 16. We've been looking at this a few different times during our Tuesday night class, right? Um, But this passage struck me when it comes to uh, why a father handles his children the way he handles him, a good father, all right? It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But here's what we do have. One who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. See, a father can sympathize 
because he knows what it's like, but he's now stronger. He's mature. We have this father in this context, this high priest, who is in a much stronger position than us, but he also knows where we are. He understands where we've been. He understands where, where, what, we, what we have to deal with, right? Therefore, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's go to dad and talk so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So again, like a father who understands what his child is going through because he himself has been through uh, the same or similar circumstances, the Lord understands our condition. He understands our, our circumstances that we've been in, that we are in, whatever it may be. He's been tempted in all things like we have, yet without sin, which is very important to make sure we point out. And like a compassionate father, he corrects us and he disciplines us but he doesn't give us what our sin truly deserves. He makes sure we learn, and he doesn't give us a pass, but he doesn't give us what we truly deserve. Like a father, he's done everything within, within his ability, within what is reasonable to set us up for spiritual success. But we always... Um, well, maybe not we, because it gets used too much, but the, the religious world likes to use John 3.16 constantly, right? And usually you don't get 17 or 18 or the rest of that passage. Normally, uh, you ask people, you know, who said that? And they can't even tell you, well, that was Jesus. Who was he telling? You know, they can't tell you, well, it was Nicodemus, you know. Oh, I know that story. They're together, <laughs> all right? But I do want to bring this up, John 3.16 and 17 here, and look at how uh, he has done what I just said he did. Set us up with, with, as far as he can reasonably do, he has done everything to set us up for spiritual success, like a good father would, setting us up for success in life. For God so loved the world, so he loved us, he loved the world that he gave, so he made a sacrifice, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So he's, he's rescuing us from, from pain, danger, uh, that, perishing, but instead to have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. Here's why he did it. But that the world might be saved. That the world might be saved through him. You see, he is like a compassionate father. He wants us to win. Now, he's not just going to give it to us. He's given us so much. We're recalling his wonderful benefits today. But like a good father, he's doing all that he can. He's putting it out there. He's doing everything he can. And he, he just needs you, his children, to, to be faithful and obey. To, to take what he is giving. Straight from the mouth of Jesus himself here, here's this picture of a, a compassionate father. And as verse 13 of our psalm says, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So those who truly believe that he is who his written word says that he is, those who take him seriously, those who love him, those who are faithful to him, those who are seeking him, those who are seeking to do his will, those who live by his word, those who walk by the spirit, those who are his are promised compassion, a, a deep, tender, merciful love from the almighty the one who created it all, the one for whom it was all created, and the one who holds it all together. He says, those who fear him, those who are his, they're promised this compassion, this deep, tender, merciful love. You guys, I deserve what I deserve. That sounds, well, I don't know what it sounds like to you. It might sound a little overly simple, but you know what I mean. 
I deserve to get what I deserve. You know, sometimes people will say that kind of out of both sides of our mouth. They'll say they deserve this, but I don't want to see them get it. The way I've sinned, the way I've chosen to do it, just flying in the face of the Lord and His Word at times, I deserve to get what I deserve. But I don't. I don't get that. Instead, I get compassion. I get compassion instead. He's a good, compassionate father to us. We see that over and over. Church, we get so many good things that we don't deserve from him. He looks out for the little guy. Like we said, he loves and he helps and he heals the oppressed. He reveals himself so that, uh, so that we know who he is and we know what he wants, what his will is for our lives. He's more patient with us than we are with uh, most everyone else, right? And he's the perfect picture of a compassionate father to us, his children. We ought to uh, certainly share the psalmist's desire to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Mm -hmm.